to Drunk Valorant, episode 16. Um, if you guys didn't know, it's uh, Hunter's 16th birthday today. So uh, if everybody could wish him a happy birthday. Yeah, happy job, birthday, Hunter. Well. Yeah. Um, yeah we just like to it. follow that up by, yeah, we, we definitely live in a country where drinking at 16 is very legal. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then follow that up by, we're obviously fucking kidding. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we get banned because. Yeah, because we're drinking. we're promoting underage drinking. No, we're all overage in, in any country that you uh, wish to to drink in. I believe India's twenty five. Never mind. So I don't think you two could drink there. Never mind then. Uh, most countries, unless it's India. I, I could be wrong corrected. about India being twenty five though. So don't don't fucking quote me on that. But like, think it is. Okay. At any rate. Um, Hunter, while um, wait, I'm trying me... to open my beer because it's not cracking properly, what are you drinking? Well, I'll send this back to you real quick. Um, I believe somewhere on the line your mic switched to uh, your webcam mic because it's very echoey right now. Yeah, yeah, you're on your webcam mic for sure. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Yes, so while you're working on that, I'll go ahead and say that I'm very excited about what I'm bringing to the table. This is the most video game nerd-esque title you'll ever see. This is the uh, Crafted Dragonheart uh, art by Artisanal... Actually, I don't know if this is the brand or the type. I'll have to look. It's it's an artisanal mead, so it is apple mead with cherry and raspberry. Oh, it's uh, a mead. I, Interesting. Yeah, and I had never had any form of mead before. So I just saw it, and I was like, this looks too cool to not try. And turns out I like it, so that worked out well. It's and a yeah, cool-ass bottle. Okay. Thanks, yeah. Uh, that's very helpful for all of those uh, video podcast listeners out yeah, there. Yeah, no, it looks like a Prosecco um, bottle. Like yeah, a mini, wa- Like a mini champagne bottle. So it it was interesting. Yeah. I saw him holding it. I was like... This dude just like sipping champagne out the bottle right now, <laughs> but of course um, it's real mead. Quick, is yeah, so it's by the uh, the crafted art artisan meadery, so they they know what they're doing. Yeah, your mic's all good now, Cass. So... Yeah, okay. I think my mic's yeah. fixed. Uh, sorry about that. Apparently, I was using the wrong mic for this at the start. Um, and uh, maybe Hunter on, can on work editing magic on it. Nah, probably not. Um, <laughs> I mean, now that you've referenced the edit, it's going to be more confusing for me to have edited out already. So we're just going to keep rolling with it. <laughs> anyway, right. this um, podcast, if you can't tell already, we're a little short on content for this one because we're all really excited for the new patch at the end of the battle pass. So uh, a lot of us will be a lot of this will be speculation and, you know, shooting the breeze as we anticipate what's coming soon. Uh, speaking of speculation, what are you drinking today, Cass? Uh, I got another Wild Eye Bruin beer here. It's one of their Wild Experiments, um, Hop Series Volume 8. I think the last time I got one of their beers, it was Hop Series Volume 7. So, you know. Is Wild, wait, up. is Wild Experiments a, uh, the, the title? Is that on the can? Or is that yes, just Wild a terrible joke you just made? No, no, no. Wild Experiments is on the can. <laughs> it is part of their series where they come out with kind of weird ruse trying to see what they like and what goes and what people like um i i believe it's the exact same series that you got your your sour from a couple weeks back okay sounds good yeah i was just wondering if you made a really terrible joke and i was gonna give no, you shit for no, it no no but... no no it, it's yeah, the way cast said it it sounded like it was coming up it was a improv thing no um so i'm drinking a hazy red ish ipa that's also on the can. I'm not just saying red-ish. Um, 
Yeah, it's got Mosaic, Nelson, and Galaxy Hops. So that's kind of up my alley for the most part. What makes something uh, reddish? Well, I'm assuming it's like somewhat of an amber ale mixed with a hazy, and then it's also an IPA. I, I don't know. Yes. I don't brew beer. The one time I tried to yes, brew Chase. beer, it came out like shit. I'm surprised that uh, you guys don't know this because, you know, I guess it makes sense that you guys, are neither of you are actually born in Canada. But I've really spent a lot less time in Canada than you guys, so I'm just surprised you didn't know. But, you know, in Canada, they have off-brand versions of American things a lot of times. So what, whereas in America, we have radishes. Up in Canada, they have reddishes. And so there's actually literally <laughs> reddishes in the beer. So I don't know what, what angle you're taking on this, Cass. This is a reddish-flavored beer. I, that was such a long, like, setup for that. I, I love it. That was... Thanks. That's absolutely um, a joke I would make, and Cassie's just gonna brush that under the rug like he's never heard it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Glad to give you more ammo the there, Chase. And it's not my favorite. It's interesting flavor-wise. I don't think I'd buy it again. Well, um, I guess their wild experiment was a failure. This one was. Some of the past ones have been better. But Chase, what are you uh, rounding us off with? Well. You know, I think that we we just drink way too much craft shit, you know? Like, like fuck all that, like, bougie $5 beer type deal. Um, I'm just drinking a cold coconut right now. And uh, I don't For even know... For you Americans out there, that's basically like drinking a Budweiser. I was very confused, so I appreciate the uh, It's the equivalent of a Budweiser, American. but actually it's probably a bit lighter than a Budweiser. I'd say it's probably the equivalent of, like, a, like a Coors... Not a Coors Light. You think a banquet, though, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking banquet. Yeah, okay. It's it's similar to a banquet. Um, like if we're talking Bud, uh, then you have Molson here. We have Canadian. It's literally called Canadian. Um, <laughs> that would great. be the uh the one to one comparison. Um, but yeah, Coconut's like it's a BC brewery, but you know it's like your classic buy a thirty rack. Except in Canada, you can't get a thirty rack, so you. You buy like buy a, a twelve rack for or like a, fifty bucks, or a two four for fifty. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunate. A hundred. Uh, no, assuming you don't drink a lot of like two fours, but like, what's the going rate for a two four in the states? I haven't been back there in a while. Uh, I do not know because I don't buy them. <laughs> so I, I wish I could tell you, but like, so I really can't. By, by my memory, from back in my high school days, when I was over twenty one, so legally drinking, of course. Um. I feel like we used to get beers for like sixty-five cents a can, if like you bought them in a rack. That sounds pretty reasonable from my from my experience. Yeah, out here I think what they go for like over two, even for like the shit beer. Yeah, I mean like this Coconut is it's not the cheapest beer you can buy, um, but like it's almost two bucks a beer, or it is like just over two bucks a beer, I guess. What's the cheapest beer you can buy in Canada? Uh, well, we got. Pacific Sorry, Pilsner. Let me rephrase. What's the cheapest beer we can buy in BC? Yeah, there's Pacific Pilsner. Mm -hmm. Um, there's Old Mill. What else we got? This really cheap. There's well, the, the Sneaky Weasel. For sneaky the Weasel. Content. Sneaky Weasel's it's, really it's like, cheap and it's awful. It's really, it's really disgusting, bad. But it comes in at like six point five percent or something like that. For most of the other beers you're getting are at like 
five. Yeah, it's because you can. They want you to be able to crush them, and the alcohol comes up on you like a sneaky weasel. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I see. Yeah, this is very specific to people who might live in Canada and know the beers here, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There's your your little bit of foreign culture for the day. Beautiful. Okay. I feel enlightened. Well, uh now that we're done with that, on to Valorant and stuff. Um. I feel like we should make this this segment kind of quick, but like I thought it'd be interesting for us to just touch on the, uh, you know, the hundred T shenanigans. Um, you know, we can make all the jokes we want, but like they went into this tournament with a team of five. They came out of game of game two and went down to a team of three, and then just replaced those two with taps. So they're still kind of a team of three with two standards. Yeah. Um, for those of you who did not watch any of the games slash see anything on Twitter. Uh, 100 Thieves got 13-0'd by the guard, and they responded to that by dropping Eccles, their IGL, and Baby J, their Sentinel player. And have now picked up Bang and JC Stanny as, like, the temporary stand-ins. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's not completely fair to say that the reason they did it is because they got 13-0'd. Um it's kind of seems like that's a big part of it, yeah, but that's okay. all conjecture. Um, right. The official statement is that they weren't meshing well into the team. Obviously baby J and Eccles were the, the two new recruits um, for hundred thieves, but mm-hmm. like it's, it seems like a pretty rash move to after two games. Um, I mean, I guess they did lose both of them, but they were both close games, like good games mm-hmm. uh, in I general. Somebody, yeah, somebody pointed out they were two clutches away from 2 0ing the guard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. So, like, that, and they also went up against the first week, they went up against C9, who's arguably the best team in America right now. So. Well, they, like, they, they, they lost. Going into that week one, that's kind of expected. Yeah, like, I mean, I feel like they kind of expect to lose to hundred or to C nine there. They lost an OT oh. against the guard in the first game or in the first map, mm-hmm. and then they won the second map with a massive comeback, uh, which is you know classic hundred thieves fashion. You can't have a good hundred thieves round without like a ten round comeback. I mean, they were down yeah. two to ten after the first half on Haven when they brought it to OT. Yeah, it's pretty wild. They had a big, they had a massive comeback there too. Yep. Um. But and okay, so from what from what I'd seen, it seems like Eccles very much agreed with the idea. He's just like, look, like clearly this wasn't working. Like, by all means, like better to pull the plug now, and just rip off the band aid than like keeping it on and slowly tugging at it until we fall apart. But it seems yeah, he like specifically maybe, said something like that on Twitter. Yeah, it seems like Baby J from like – now, obviously, I don't know the full context of this. I just saw something that somebody clipped off his stream was like understandably really pissed off about the whole situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, Baby J is like, a good player. I don't think you're going to replace yeah. someone like Baby J with anyone better as a Sentinel player. Yeah, it, like, it, it, it yeah. like From his perspective, he felt like he didn't really even get a chance to like – you know, try to make things work. And, like, he, he was very, like, pissed off about it from what I could gather. At this point, my mic decided it didn't really want to work. So going back in in post to say that, 
what I was trying to get across is that 100 Thieves really didn't have a lot of practice time, given that they had some problems with Eccles and his visa coming over from the UK. And the fact that they were willing to just can the, the two new members of the roster without giving them a chance to work through some of those chemistry issues they said were so serious, that just seems like a big mistake to me. How can you possibly be sure this roster is unsalvageable after two weeks and give up on the players who you thought had enough promise to actually sign, not as not as temporary players like Bang and JC Stanny are now, but as actual members of your roster. Yeah, I mean, it all just seems extremely reactionary, right? Like, they didn't have a lot of time. They have two, like, series against two different teams who are arguably some of the best teams in this, right? The guard looked really good coming through qualifiers, and... C9 is what everybody is expecting to be the best team in NA right now. So to have two close games against those teams seems like a decent outcome. Obviously, they're in the bottom of their current uh, group because they've lost both of their games. Uh, they're in like the fifth spot out of the six. So that, but there's four, four more games, three more games left to play. And I would be surprised games, yeah. if that roster was not able to take a couple of games against the rest of that group. I mean, I think the big thing is if they lose their next matchup, they're out. Yeah. And I think um, that, that happening became much more likely now that they have two yeah, stand-in players who have a week. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. And like, <laughs> obviously like I'm not, I'm not a team manager or anything of the sort. I don't know what kind of like politics go on behind the scenes and like who it was that wanted to pull the plug and blow this team up, be it like a GM or some of the players. But it it, it seems to me like part of the problem now that they've created for themselves is I I don't think like free agents in the future or just other people that they're trying to pick up are going to be as interested in playing for them because it seems like you have a couple bad strings of, of games, even if it's not directly your fault, like you're just going to get, you're just up on the chopping block. Yeah. Um, and I, mean, this I, I is... feel like that's just a really bad image to, to set. Like you're, you're one of the larger orgs in NA. And if, if you don't do incredible, right. Going in, trying to qualify for Masters 1, and you want to go and you want to try to go poach some players from some other teams who maybe didn't qualify either, I feel like that now just became so much harder. And this is why I think that you have to give the org a bit of credit. Like, you you have to think that they're somewhat smart enough to understand exactly what you're saying here, is that it's very not good for their image to drop these players immediately. And that they probably have a worse chance with two random new people uh, instead of the team that's been practicing at least for a few weeks, um, which makes me think that there must be some kind of um, internal struggle that like the team just was not meshing to a point where this was warranted, like warranted, right? Like it, it just seems like such a stupid decision that there must be more information that we don't have about how maybe it was just terrible. Like they were not working together w well at all. Um, 
is that a problem with the two people you just brought in? Is that a problem with the people that you already had on the team? Um, right? Because they said the same thing about Steel when Steel left or was kicked out um, last year. Well, okay. Actually, that seemed to be mostly like, okay, I, I think this situation, and obviously I don't know the whole story behind it, but like, it does a little bit kind of seem like Nitro just left 100 Thieves up like high and dry. Because from what I've come to understand and heard is Nitro was the one who was really pushing to get Steel off their roster. Um, and and then they did that, right? Now, I, I don't know what the other players' opinions were on the matter, but it seemed like Nitro was the one who was kind of pushing for that. And then he gets it, right? Like, 100 Thieves gets rid of Steel. And then Nitro just kind of up and fucks off. He now, says, nah, I, I, I like CS better. Well, I, I understand, like, from from what he was saying, at least what I heard right before he left, is he really wanted to play with Elyge again, uh, one of his old CS teammates. Um, and he wasn't particularly concerned with whether it was Counter-Strike or Valorant. He just wanted to play with Elyge again. Um, and it seemed like Liquid was parting ways with their current and a CSGO roster, and there was a spot available for Nitro on that. And so he went there. Now, I, I don't really follow CS all that much, so I don't know if it was even a possibility of Elise considering leaving for Valorant or not, but um, it, it, it does kind of seem like the whole Steel situation was really put forth into the light by Nitro, who was arguably one of the best players on 100 Thieves, if not the best, and has now decided to just leave. And, you know, perhaps they would have been doing fine had they had Steel on this roster. I don't know. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm gonna build on that to say that even if it wasn't Nitro who primarily wanted Steel gone, like, one of the big things that people were saying consistently after the Steel left was that there were fundamental strategic differences in how the members on the team wanted to pursue, uh, you know, what their in-round strategy was, what their IGL was saying, and if if they agreed with that or not. And, and so even if it was like, you know, Hiko and Asuna who were like, yeah, we want Steel gone, like Nitro was the person who was put as IGL after that, who presumably would be more in line with what the team wanted. So even if it wasn't him pushing for that, like there was this potential for, you know, there to be real unity in the team. And if you look at the, if you, if, if uh, the same thing happened with steel and they had boy sub in for uh, LQC and then they lost, but then now they picked up baby J as well. So the roster is Asuna, Hiko, Ethan, Nitro, baby J. Like that's a really good roster. Um, So yeah, I agree. <laughs> Nitro leaving was a big issue. Yeah, and so that's why they brought in Eccles, right, as an IGL. Um, yeah. As an IGL who plays Smokes. Yes, yes. Um, so it's hard to come by, apparently, in the U.S. So <laughs> they were like, fuck it, we're going yeah. overseas. Yeah. Uh, and okay, then, so, yeah, does Eccles oh, just wait, fuck, sorry, ahead, fuck off back to the U.K. now? That's what I was wondering. Uh, I don't know, because, like, basically, 100 Thieves went through the effort of getting him, like, a visa. Like, they literally got him a house. Maybe it's an apartment, but, like, he has a place to stay in the States, and, like, they got him a visa. Um, 
I don't know how that all breaks down. I, I don't. I I just don't know. Um, yeah, actually, I do have a bit of an answer to that question, which okay. is that uh, I fo- I started following Eccles on Twitter after he signed with Hundred Thieves initially, and so he actually posted after he was cut from the roster. He said, "I'm going to be in the Hundred uh, Thieves Cash App compound uh, streaming." Uh, for for a while, so come check me out. So it seems like his contract with Hundred Thieves wasn't just to play Valorant, but also, you know, as like a streamer deal as well. So he's still under contract with Hundred Thieves for that, and it seems like he's still gonna stay in the states and try to, you know, do well as an influencer. Uh, or I don't, I kind of hate that word as a you know as a streamer, even though his Valorant prospects just got uprooted a little bit. Or maybe so, he'll be picked I, up by another team, but yeah. Yeah, uh, I kind of wanted to talk about like what they're what's going on going forward here. So, from now, I as Hunter and I discussed off podcast, I don't actually have a Twitter. Um, I just the night that I heard that a uh, hundred thieves was blowing up the roster, I went to the Valorant competitive subreddit and just kind of clicked on all the top links to like read up on that. Um, and it seems like Ethan is going to be taking over the role as Sova. Yeah. On which people play Sova. And then JC Stanny is going to be their kind of de facto controller guy. Um, I do believe Hiko plays Viper on certain maps being like, I know he plays it on split. I don't know about fracture, but, um, and then, but generally speaking, he goes going to be playing Sentinel and Bang, who is apparently really good friends with Asuna. And so one would assume they've got some good chemistry there. It's kind of going to be the person that like goes and almost like uh, babysits isn't the right word. But like, it seems like Bang's going to be like the person playing a lot around Asuna, trying to get Asuna into positions that he can then capitalize on. Um, but like Sky KO secondary duelist kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like it it kind of seems like he's gonna be the guy throwing his utility out so that Athna can get himself into places or into situations in which he's got advantageous gunfights. And then he's obviously got really good mechanical aim and movement and stuff, so hopefully hopefully that'll all work. Um we'll we'll have to see. But that that's yeah. kind of what it looks like for that team going forward yeah i mean this is obviously recorded before the matches this week um which the episode is going to drop after those matches so i guess we'll yeah by the time you hear this you'll be able to to know a little bit more about how it actually worked out and maybe everything we're saying is just stupid and they fucking rolled or something but I don't. I don't think it's gonna be like that. I think you. What you throw in a couple of subs a week before your next matches, like it's not gonna go super well. Well, they are playing LG, so they don't have the stiffest competition this week. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know the matchup, but yeah. But yeah. I mean, I. I think your point still stands that I would be surprised if Hundred Thieves like handily two O's LG. I think that would be uh, yeah, really impressive if they were able to pull that off. Yeah, and then, LG well, put the up a good thing, fight last last week too. So the yeah. the other thing that Hunter and I were talking about one night um, was there is because both of those players are on loans. Hundred Thieves hasn't actually bought them out of their old contracts and signed them. Um, 
there is some potential to, so long as they can make it through the the cut, and I believe the cut is the bottom two teams from each group, they could potentially poach players from those other rosters to try to get hmm. whatever it is that they feel like they need. From the four teams um, that, that don't teams make it? Yeah. Like, there is the potential for them, so long as they can progress, um, there is the potential for them to go and try to poach players from those other teams. I mean, that's still, again, like a big ask, right? Yeah. One, like, all of those players are also on, under contract. Uh, it's possible that you're going to get a loan, but who knows what their current situations are um, and whether or not they want to stay with their current team. Uh, I'm sure having the opportunity to go and actually compete at a higher level is enticing, but you never know. Well, enticing then, except for what you pointed out earlier, Chase, where you know you could get dropped <laughs> after a game or two. Exactly. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. That, but then also you're throwing just more people in to these two spots. Like, are you ever going to give someone time to cement themselves into a role, or are you just going to keep flip-flopping players every two weeks? I mean, the other... Okay, so something interesting that I heard as well is Under Thieves was actually trialing both Cryocells and Xander. Um, who I believe Cryo is now on Xset. Yep. Yep, and he and he looks um, amazing. Cryo, yeah, he Cryo's looks really going really off, good. dude. Yeah. yeah. I believe his stats are currently the best in the entire tournament. You know what? I think... Um, I think... Hundred Thieves should get like a crack jet. Take yeah, Asuna like, all out of that role. Yeah. Right? Because I, I was saying that Asuna could potentially be the best flex in NA. Or just like second right? like secondary yeah, duelist, secondary right? Duelist slash like whatever character you kinda want to slot in there. Like his mechanics allow him to do that, and he's shown propensity for other characters that are not specifically jet and well, so I mean, he's better at like raise than jet for sure right yeah i think the big question with that is yeah he can play other duelists than jet but could he actually do well on the sky or the ko and i think mm -hmm. that's who knows because if he could then yeah i think that could make a lot of sense to get like if they could somehow manage to get someone like cryo and then have him do that. But I just have no idea. And I think it's hard for anyone to have an idea of if he would, you know, vibe with the utility, the heavier utility usage and that more intermediate role of a true flex. I mean, Although were, were I you saying mind... that with, with uh, them trialing cryo, that there's a possibility that if Exet doesn't make it? Well, no, no, no. Cause I think Exet's making it through no matter what. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, Exet's doing no, well. No, That's what I was going to yeah. tell you. No, no. Well, what I was going to say is that they were, they trialed cryo cells and Xander and off the top of my head, I could not tell you who Xander plays for, but it seems like they're doing well as well. Um, but apparently the buyout that like was quoted to hundred Thebes was significantly higher than what Xset bought him out for. Mm, spicy. Which I, th I think is really interesting because I don't know the legal logistics on that, but like, it seems like whatever team had his contract was like, oh, this is 100 Thieves. They've got cash for days. We can try to, you know, arm and like charge him an arm and a leg for this. And they turned it down. 
Yeah, I don't know what contract law is in the yeah, states. I so. neither do I. Uh, and again, I I don't know the the exact specifics of it. That was just the one night that I spent reading through uh, the Valorant competitive subreddit. That's the information I garnered from it. Yeah, I in, as a general rule of thumb, I, I or not rule of thumb. That's not the right saying here. Um, I don't. I I just think it'll be really interesting to see how this team works going forward. Um, and I guess perhaps next week we can have like a five, ten minute segment after we've seen their game on whether mm. we think it was worthwhile or not. Yeah, and what I will say is uh, we have actually been having inconsistently, but still somewhat regularly uh watch parties in our discord for the uh tournaments for the games so you know if uh feel free to ping the discord if you want some buddies to watch it with or join in if there's something going on so we might be seeing y'all this weekend for that hundred thieves ld game yeah and since you're going to be hearing this next week then i mean there'll be more games this oh, week yeah, for you yeah, yeah so you haven't missed out don't worry yeah yeah it's not just a hop, hop in the discord gotta... like yeah we we got a really good like watch group going last time. There were quite a few of us in here. Yeah, on Friday in particular, it was popping yeah. off. Um, all right, but I believe next on the list here is Chase wanted to talk about rank distribution. So, hmm. if you want to just pick that conversation, uh, can up, I then... interject with one thing first that relates more closely to what we were just talking about? Yeah, yeah. If we have something else to talk Absolutely about in, in not, the competitive Hunter, scene, not, not a chance. <laughs> this is this is going to be this. a pretty quick point, I think, but. Uh... <laughs> But uh, I know one thing that Cass said several podcasts ago that really stuck with me was that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong in any way on this, but as I remember it, you were saying that you think that pro teams should consider mid-round saves more than they, more than they do. Where yep, I did say that. Yeah, yeah. And I said at the time, I was like, well, I don't know that there's ever been a scenario in which I thought, you know, this team should really save and they didn't. But since since that conversation, I've been looking out for it more. And there have been some times I'm like, oh, maybe they should have gone for a save. But what was really interesting is I saw the opposite happen in the first map of the guard versus 100 Thieves. And this was such a weird case to me. I don't know how common it actually is. I haven't looked at statistics but I thought it'd be worth discussing. So this was just as 100 Thieves, their comeback was getting rolling. So they had one uh, pistol and the uh, and their bonus. And so it was going, it was the third round of um, 100 Thieves. Um, shoot, which side did they start on? Either way, it was the third round after the switch. And um, the score was 11 to four at the time. And I'm realizing my counting of the rounds is somewhat off because they clearly didn't just win bonus. Either way, point is, score is 11-4. to 4. It was a uh, buy round for both teams. And 100 Thieves was on attack. They secured a site on a Haven very quickly, killing one person on site. So just as they were planning the spike, it was a 4v5 retake with 100 Thieves in full control of the A site. And the guard immediately called a save. Like, they did not make any attempt to go for retaking the site four on five. They just decided, we're going to save our weapons into next round. And I thought that was really interesting. First of all, I feel like it, it, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that they had to have been doing that because 
at, or at least influenced by the fact that they were ahead so many rounds at the time, thinking it would be the safer strategy given that. Uh, but either way, it was really surprising to see and honestly kind of boring. Like, if that were to become the norm of just teams being like, oh, well, we're down one man, retaking the site might be somewhat less likely to succeed than it, than, uh, you know, no, we would I, like okay. to say. I, I, I thought that was really that interesting. Like, I agree with that decision. It's early in the half, right? You're not, like, I'm assuming they just bought up full, and they're not going to be able to do so the next round. You've lost a man. You've got no sight, like, no sight control. Um, you're probably better off saving. And, uh, like, I, I think you should probably poke and prod and see if anybody on the attacking team overextends and gives you a free pick. Or... You know, maybe maybe some guys or maybe somebody just goes and jiggles an angle and happens to get a head tap, and now like maybe you've got an opening to get in. But like I I, I do think, especially when you're up eleven to four, that that's the right call. If you can't buy next round, just back off. Well, the I, I think my problem with that scenario is I I don't know it's. I think by accepting the fact that, you know, we're just going to save into next round, while yes, you're protecting your own eco, you're also really boosting the other team's eco. Well, I, and, I do think you should be playing for exits in that scenario. Well, yeah, but the thing is, the thing is, in this case, they did kind of hang around. They didn't just hoof it immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, but, like, the thing is, as soon as 100 Thieves identified that this was pretty obviously a save... They didn't give them any exits. They, in the case of the guard, they didn't have anyone flanking. So 100 Thieves was able to just retreat back towards their own spawn. And X and uh, the guard was just sort of in, in their own spawn. And so the teams, I, I think it was a case where literally everyone survived. There were nine people <laughs> alive at the end of the round, which that in itself is rare to see. And... Yeah. And and I think I feel like that's the that's the issue with the strategy that yes you have the rifles next round, but even in the case where it makes the most sense, which was this case where you have a big lead, you've now given the other team a huge boost in their own eco. So if you then don't win the next round, where you haven't accumulated any money because you only get the minimum like what thousand dollars for losing yeah. and, and and being alive. Now you're in a really bad situation for rounds no, after okay. that, which is in fact what happened. I think you have to think about they it. They lost this the way. next round, and hundred thieves' eco was set. But you're not you're not just getting the thousand dollars. You're getting the thousand dollars plus everything you've saved. Well, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I totally understand that. So it, you're yes, you're in a position where it, I, I I do think it would be ideal to have maybe just an individual on the flank to try to get some of those exits as the enemy team leaves sight. But that, that aside, you, you can go into this next round with a full buy, which is something you would not have been able to do had you tried to go in. And now absolute worst case scenario, you try to go in to site and um, the attacking team ends up with a flawless round, right? Like that's worst case scenario. And now you're in the exact same position you would have been otherwise. They get they got to keep all their guns, and now you're broke as shit because you didn't save anything. But more realistically, let's assume that you get a couple picks here and there. 
Yeah, and I think that's much more. I think that's very reasonable. Like okay. the, ch- the oh, chance I... of a four v five retake resulting in all five yeah. of the other team remaining is extremely. Yeah, no, I agree. Slim. With you. you you probably get a couple picks here and there, um, but the enemy team's economy is still in better shape. Yeah, because they've won the last few rounds. See, yeah, I I just doesn't... think there's more calculus to it. Like there, you also have to think about. I don't know exactly how the round played out, but. How much utility did Hundred Thieves drop getting into site? Do I, they, I don't really remember. Right, either. like, do they have a lot of utility left to keep site? So if if they're able to get onto site without much force, and then they have so much that you're like, wow, we're going up against a like full utility, full buy, five players a man down. Then I'm I, I understand like the decision to save, um, which is still crazy with four man. Like you don't often see that. Yeah. But I I imagine a scenario where, you know, maybe they dropped a bunch of utility um, on one site and weren't able to get in, but then all five of them were able to take another site. But now they're, like, pretty much out of utility, right? There's smokes are on recharge or whatever the fuck they are for Astra. Um, and, you know, it take, it takes not so much to get in. Right, there's they don't have a ton to defend. Then I think that your decision to save might be a lot harder because you can you have an ability to go into site. Yeah, and now to to that definitely should play point, into it. Right to counter my own point, which I was saying that I think teams should save more often. Uh, it mostly comes from watching like CS teams, like just they they're running like a three two split, right? And the two people holding B site just get rolled. Uh, the enemy team five man pushes on, they get spiked down, and immediately you see those three players who are left just back off, go to spawn and save. Um, but I'm thinking one of the advantages that teams have in Valorant that perhaps incentivizes you to push in is in CS it doesn't tell you how much damage you did to the other person when you die. Whereas in Valorant, if I'm spraying a group of people down and I die without getting a kill, I'm able to see in my kill feed and, like, call out to the rest of my team, like, hey, I hit everybody, like, 130, 120. They're all one shot. Um, like That would be a pretty incredible know, scenario. You hit five people for 120 be. somehow. Like, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, but, like, point being is, like, I can say, like, hey, like, like, um, that, like, there's Killjoy <laughs> and their Jet are one shot. Yeah. Like if you can go in, like you can get like you can get quick kills on these two people and and now all of a sudden you've got a man up scenario on the retake. Um right. and so I think that's something that like perhaps incentivizes Valorant teams to not save is just the knowledge of the fact that a bunch of people could very well be like really weak and like barely holding on to life. Yeah, I mean I also think that the original point was not specifically to do with pro teams uh, because the thing is you do see pro teams save a lot more than you would in your yeah. ranked games. I think our original point was that in ranked games, we should see more saves, which I thought Cass's original point was specifically that he, I, I was, my original point more. was talking about pro games. I think in pro yeah. games, people don't save as much as they should. I understand in ranked games, it's really fucking hard to coordinate a save. 
because people are kind of more gun. I mean, half the and... time you don't even have a coordinated buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's one true. Saving a phantom and uh, one person saving and like, a stinger. It's, it's like... typically me just being last alive, holding an op on the other site, just being like, "Yeah, ah, it's one v five. I've got an op. There's no fucking way I'm going in." Yeah, but uh, I think I think that there should be more saves in ranked, right? Because you're trying to play the game the best you can. Yeah. It's it's fucking ranked. Mm. Um, you should see more of those, like two, three man saves. I I would say yeah. probably not four man because that would just be boring. I don't want to play a game where as a four man I decide to save. But yeah, my my dad who's been getting into Valorant more was watching the game with me, and when he saw that four man save, he said. Like Valorant should do something to penalize that because that is just so boring to watch. The teams yeah. <laughs> just decide to not fight each other. Like he was kind of mad just to see that. Uh, and I don't agree with that statement because there already is the built-in. I don't agree with penalizing it more than they already do because it's already significant enough to just get a thousand dollars in the next round. But and uh, lose the round. It is worth noting. Yeah, and the right, right, and lose the round. But it it does show exactly what you're saying, Chase, in terms of it being boring. Yeah, I mean, I think in in pro, like, people do save a lot more. And I've, I've never seen a four-man, so I, I didn't see this exact round that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but that is that is pretty wild. Um, and I just, I was thinking that there has to be more to it than just, oh, we're a man down, we can't retake. There has to be a little bit yeah. more decision-making there. Where, yeah, definitely, as Cass was saying, you know, this is their first buy round of the half. Um if they lose this round, then they're fucked on the economy. So, I mean, it, it makes sense to save in this instance, and it just was unfortunately very boring to watch for a viewer. Well, yeah, like I'm gonna I... I'm gonna say two things real quick on that, if you don't mind, Cass. No, no, go for it. Opening. First of all, I want to be very clear that I don't disagree with Cass's initial point about pro teams needing to save more. I don't know if I agree or not. It's just been something I've been watching for since we've had that discussion. Um, this was just a really odd case that I thought would be worth discussing. And then I'm going to disagree with what you were saying, Jason, that this was, it was the right call to save here because I don't remember exactly what the team's eco was, but I think the teams had pretty similar eco going into the round. And the reason why I think that is because hundred thieves didn't hunt the kills once it was pretty obvious that the other team was saving. So they didn't have comfortable enough eco to the point where they were like, Oh, let the other team is saving. Let's make sure they don't which is what you would do if you had a much better eco. So given that, the eco advantage that um, that the guard allowed 100 Thieves to get from that scenario was so significant that I feel like it really just put so much pressure on them to win the next round. And even if they did win the next round, 100 Thieves still probably has money because they got all that bank from having every member of their team survive with a rifle in their hand the round before that. So I actually don't think it was the right call. I think it I, was I a think call that made... I think it's better to have a buy the next round. Like... I, I don't think so, because you have a buy the next round, so you're on equal footing. And then I, if, you, think and having... then if okay. you win that round, 100 Thieves can still buy the round after that. And then if yeah. you lose that round, then you're screwed. I, I think so, so I don't think having, that makes sense. I think you having a sound economy is more important than worrying about the other team's economy. No, no, here, here's my point, right? So if you, even if the worst case scenario happens that you were discussing, right? So you you go in, you kill no one, they kill everyone. So they walk out of there with all their rifles in hand mm -hmm. with big econ advantage. 
Now you have the full 1,900 at least per person. You save the next round, so you lose the next round. And then the round after that, so two rounds from that, now you're back on a full buy, and they're on a full buy. In the other scenario where you but, but save... Now you're on, you're on a full buy earlier if you save. You're on a full yeah, buy one round and, earlier. And their economy is two rounds the healthier because on your eco, they're probably going to have quite a few people live. Again. Well, well, yeah, obviously, but the but, but but what my point is is that in the other scenario where you know you win the the round after with, for, for for saving purposes, then hundred thieves still gets to buy the round after that, and so you're you're just on even footing there in the best case scenario, and then if you lose the buy the next round, then you're in a much worse scenario because now your ego is broken and their ego is hitting max. So so it's. Basically, it's it's about okay, it's, it gets in, complicated in theory, when it comes to down to the yeah, probabilities. Look, like I I don't want to pull up a fucking spreadsheet here and run the numbers, but it seems like, and again, I, I don't know the exact round you're talking about, but it seems like if four people didn't even attempt the retake, that means they've got full fucking shields, like full buy on the rifle, and probably have a lot of fucking utility. So the grand that they get from saving, while yes, is not the nineteen hundred they might get otherwise. But it's still probably just going right to the bank. Maybe you dip in like $200 because you used a flash. And you want that flash back. But it, it's not, like I, I don't think the economic detriment is anywhere near as severe as you're talking about. And to have like the 4K that you've already invested brought into the next round is so much more important than any amount of loss bonus that you're going to get. On top of the fact that if you do lose out, right? if you do try to attempt that retake, you do lose it, 100 Thieves goes into the next round with a bunch of rifles, and you just get completely wiped on the eco, the economy is going to be so much fucking better anyway. I think at that point, you have to accept that they're in a better economic situation than you are, and focus on your own economy. Well, the, the thing is, we were first talking about it in terms of the absolute worst case scenario, which is incredibly unlikely. Yes, uh, but I'm like, saying realistically, even, if you take out, even if you take out the worst case scenario and you get a couple kills on that retake, but now yeah, you've now all died. You get more money, and the other team has to rebuy some rifles and full sh and shields. But their economy, Most likely, going to be their economy is going to be better than yours is anyway, because now you're going to have to save. But you get nine hundred more creds, or a thousand more creds. You get nine hundred more creds, and they spend. It, it depends on it depends on how many rounds you yeah. lost in a row, but basically yes. Yeah, um, so you get nine hundred more creds, but you don't get a twenty nine hundred dollar rifle and shields. Like Hunter, I can't possibly see where your argument's coming from here. Well, here uh, my argument's coming from watching how it happened. I watched it and I said, "This seems like a questionable decision." And then they proceeded to lose the next buy round and have their econ shattered while 100 Thieves was in an incredible position. I think and their the econ would have been shattered anyway. Their econ's going to be shattered anyway if you go in and try to attempt that retake. And no, no, no. Thieves here's here's the point. Really they lost the round situation. after well, on a buy on that, buy round. I think that's regardless. The next round after. Yeah, that's that, doesn't that doesn't matter. It does Because what they did the next round does not matter to me. Because, sure, it turned out that it was a terrible situation for them but they would rather have that full buy on that round than have to save and then full buy the next round yeah but in but in the scenario where they save and full buy the next round hundred thieves eco is almost definitely in a much worse spot like either way it's in a bad position 
sorry, either way, their own eco isn't great, but the other team's eco should be much worse, assuming you're having at least minimal success in those rounds. And and that's what I'm saying. I feel like the saving strategy just puts so much pressure on the next round, and if the next round goes badly, you would have been better off not saving. That's that's what what I'm saying. Okay, I I don't think you're looking at this in the correct manner. By them saving, they got an extra buy round in that half. They have an extra full no. buy in the half. Yes, they do. Yeah, because say you, you go buy, save, buy, save, buy, save. Just like that, your your buy is one earlier than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, it's one earlier. Yes. And I mean, so that's, that's throughout, the, throughout the duration of the half, you had you now have an extra buy. Depending on how... That round. If you lose that round, then you don't get an extra buy. It it doesn't matter if they win the round or not because you got your buy first. You got that buy before you you won or lost the next round. Yeah, the next round, and then you can buy again on let's call this three rounds after, right? Three rounds after you decide to save, you've now had two buys and one save. Whereas in the other situation, you have a save, then a buy, and assuming you lose that one too, then you've got a save again. So now you're looking at two saves versus one buy. Because in, well, yeah, in both of these cases, you, the you have to assume that they lose their buy round because you're assuming that you're assuming for your scenario that they've lost the buy round after they saved. So even if they went in, they didn't save, they then or they, they then they saved on the next round for econ. You have to then assume that they lost their full buy after that because it's the same thing. I suppose, but realistically, you know, in the flow of the game, I feel like it it, it could work out a little differently. Like, I understand what you're saying, but it, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is just that the the you the when you're when you punt on a round because the, here's the other part of this as well that that I'm realizing that that I'm leaving out, which is why my argument seems very dumb right now, and that's that with the four on five you have a realistic chance to win on four on five. Is it more likely than not? No, it's more likely that you won't win. But you have a chance to win the four on five. You have a fighting chance. So you also have to consider the fact that you're giving up on a round that is winnable, even if it might not be the most likely outcome. And that's the thing that sways it there, that yes, on the one hand, like I understand you're saying you get maybe one more buy round in the half or a buy round sooner, but you're also punting on a round that you could have won and maybe you don't win it, but that's kind of the counterbalance for that. I mean, I think it depends again on utility. It depends on what map and what site they've taken um, because are they set up in a, in a site? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are they set up in a yeah, site that's really difficult know. to retake? They know exactly yeah, what site they're on, but not. they have, they have it's a site on Haven. Yeah. A site on Haven is not particularly difficult to retake. In my opinion, in my I don't know what the, the what everyone. I don't know. They saying. but they could be tucked into into corners where it's like, well, I'm peaking no matter what, right? Yeah, well, if you have to, okay. So let's take a side haven, right? Because you're saying this was the round in question. There's one, two, three, four. I'm counting five fifty-fifty angles you'd have to clear. Yeah, and you have four persons worth of utility to help you do that. Like, okay, this isn't so like, a 1v4. No, it's definitely okay. possible, and it, it's yeah. doable. Like, it's I, been I done. The, like, I don't know what the utility situation was like, so it, it's hard to comment on this round in specific, and I understand how you think that, like, perhaps this was, you know, you know, maybe a preemptive save call and that they maybe should have gone for it, 
but I think they absolutely should have gone for it. Not maybe. I, You're I, saying by sufficient stuff. Yeah. Okay, I 100 percent agree with the decision to save there. You've got a massive round lead. You can give them the one round to secure your econ in the next. See, I'm yeah, somewhere well, in the middle. Yeah, it worked great for them until their econ, they shattered their own econ and gave 100 Thieves three rounds off of that and springboarded their comeback. And that's my point. Did, like, that did, scenario did is a very realistic scenario because by them punting on that round, which they could have won, and then the next round was the only one that legitimately was a 50-50, not even weighted in their favor, buy on buy, and then they went into the next round, which they saved and also lost, which you'd expect. So that means you you take a you take a round that you were were always going to lose the save. You take a fifty fifty, and then you take a round that you maybe was like a thirty seventy, and you just eat the seventy there, I, I, and okay, you end up like, losing all three rounds, <laughs> which is exactly think, what the other team right, needs I, for their comeback. I don't think your argument here is is entirely fair because you're you're looking at this from hindsight. Like, had they gone and won that round after they saved, would you be saying the same thing? Yeah, like absolutely. You're, you're, because now they're one and now they're one and one. And that hundred is that's better than being zero and two. I'll take a one and one over an zero and two any day. But they, but they already gave up on the round they could have won. <laughs> that's a significant. Okay, but thing. like, in, but I, that's what I'm saying is like, I again, and I don't know the round in in particular. I don't know what the situation was like. Yeah, but you're saying yes, they could have won it. But if the team feels like it's not a great scenario for them and that they don't have a good shot at winning that, then yes, the save makes sense. Yeah, you're you're debating between an almost guaranteed 0-2 in the next two rounds or your, or a possibility to 1-1. One one. So that's why well, you I four-man mean, save, you can full by the next round. That's a good possibility of a 1-1 one one because now you're you're back on, the, on an equal front of full by and full by. That's a better odds than winning the 4v5 when they have plant down and are taking up like post plant positions well i guess i mean i understand what you're saying there and obviously if the team really felt like there was no chance like i'm sure i was trying to think off the top of my head like is there a site on a map that is really really hard to retake and so a four on five retake would just feel impossible where maybe i would agree um there was B-site isn't grind. one. Ah. If you're on the other side of the map, B site's a bitch to retake. With yeah, the, especially from CT. There are teleporters, the whole. You're coming through. Yeah, okay, but you got to come <laughs> through CT and Hookah. Hookah's hard enough for the attackers to take when they've got full utility, and if you're retaking, you probably don't have that utility. Well, I mean, if if you're coming from the other site, then you probably do have utility because you didn't need it, and then the attackers oh, may not. Depends on who you are. Your, you throw your utility out regardless of whether you see people coming or not. Like, your utility kind of goes down. It depends, well, it d- depends on the utility, playing. obviously. Okay, sure. I mean, if you're playing Killjoy, you can just pick up your bot and your turret and bring it with you. If you're, yeah, but that goes on what? If you like have recharging smokes, now? then, yeah. Yeah, but we're in a retake scenario. You have time for all of this. I mean, of all sites, do you, really. do you think that's the best or, like, the worst to retake? Because I'm hard-pressed to think of something that's worse to retake than B-Site Bind. Interesting. But either way, I guess I guess my point is I could see it potentially, but going back to Cass's idea of, oh, is this just hindsight? Uh, no, what, what it was is when I was watching the game live, when I saw them call that save, I was shocked and I was thinking through, what are the implications of this? 
And the first thing that came down to me and the first thing that I was struck with that I'm still struck with now is they just punted on a winnable round. And now if they don't win the next round, they gave a huge advantage to the other team that was they didn't have to give them. And that's indeed what happened. If you don't win the buy round after that, which is you don't have any edge towards doing, then you're much worse off than if you would have gone for some kills in the previous round. I know, I'll I'll have to go and watch this round in particular. I think at this yeah. point we're just kind of beating a dead horse. But like, okay, so two things, two things. One, yeah. I was just thinking about it. I think that Haven Seasite. I also really hate retaking. No, because that's just all about garage control. If you have garage control, that's fine. You just have to retake garage. With ha- Haven Seasite's a bitch to take. Well, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can bridge both of your two opinions by saying, you know, if you have to retake garage as well, <laughs> yeah. then, then it becomes hell. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, And then I think that I'm somewhere in between you two on this because I think that I, I also, as long as, like, as well as Cass, have not seen this round in particular, or if I did at some point, I wasn't really I, paying I attention to it as well. Round, I yeah. just didn't put as much thought into it as you yeah have I, time. I didn't notice it so I, i'm gonna have to go back and rewatch this round but yeah in general i think that it there is a circumstance in which you save and there's a circumstance in which you retake and i'm not sure which one the guard was in in this instance so i i can't say for sure but i think that there are valid options on both sides of this and it depends on the current circumstances that I'm not sure apply sure. to and this. Like, I, don't, I just think, in my mind, the biggest thing here is the guard had a massive round advantage. Y- you can give them the one. And at the end of the day, they ended up winning the map. Did it take... In overtime. Yeah, in so overtime. Yeah, yeah. Relevant <laughs> whatsoever. A massive fucking clutch from Sayaplaya. To to win them that that needed round to take OT absolutely like it, it was by no means a a comfortable scenario for them but at the end of the day they made it work in some capacity yes right? that point it holds literally no water no it does. They- because oh, went no, because the econ doesn't matter. To going to overtime. No, because where the econ is recent. What are you talking because about? They had the round to spare. If they don't have that massive, if they don't have that massive, what are, they lost the next three rounds. What sure. are, I mean, the next two no, rounds. If they, if they, if they, if they don't, no, no, about? listen to me here. If they don't have that massive lead to begin with, they've lost the map before it gets to OT. The only reason why that worked out and it barely worked but it did was because they had a massive round advantage. I I would agree with you. If they don't have that big of a round advantage, even if you're slightly unfavored, it's probably worth that retake attack. Oh, oh, you're just saying, I don't know. Is it though? Okay. See, I, I am with you on the idea of in that scenario, you think about the possibility more, but in that scenario, it worked out because they managed to force overtime. I think that's the fucking stupid idea. Okay, so while we're on the topic of competitive, I just wanted to generally see if anyone had any takes from competitive. Like, you know, this is the first uh, first competitive games we've seen since Chamber and Neon have been introduced. And uh, any new meta changes or etc. Oh, okay, I gotta say, as the Chamber player, 
in this podcast. I'm surprised to see as much chamber as I have. There's been a fuck ton I, of chamber. I did not think that like chamber was going to be anywhere near as popular uh, in, in the pro scene. And obviously I really like the character, so I'm going to play the character no matter what. Right. That's kind of Hunter's theory with Yoru. It just so happens to be that in my case, chamber is actually viable and Yoru kind of sucks dicks. But hey, next podcast, that probably won't be true anymore. Let's go. Um, at, at, at any rate, I, I, I'm just very surprised to see the amount of chamber that I've seen in these pro games and to see players who have been like the jet, right? Like you look at um, now it didn't work out for them, but Asuna tried to play chamber. On a he attempted to play chamber, yes. Um, I haven't seen any of the European games, but apparently CNED was playing chamber. Um, didn't, didn't Ye try to play chamber? Ye tried to play on chamber. fracture. Yeah, the yeah. First the the first play. game, like the first week's games, were dog shit. First, yeah, the first week's <laughs> games in which Ye tried to play chamber it didn't work out too well. Yeah, against NRG, uh, he did the next great week's game, the, on the fracture, next week's yeah. game, it, it did really. Ye actually started to turn it up. Um, and I, I don't know if I saw this on Reddit or maybe Plot Chat brought this up, but it, like, somebody made a point that, like, I kind of really agreed with, which was, Ye seems to be more of, like, a, yes, he's obviously really mechanically gifted, but he seems to be more meticulous about what it is that he does, and apparently back when he played for BBG, um, and really started to pop off, like, it took him a bit of time to get comfortable on Jet. And so if it's just kind of the scenario where, like, he, he just needs a bit of time to get comfortable on Chamber, I can see that working out for him. Um, but no, no, I, I, I was just, in general, just super surprised to see the amount of Chamber that I have in these games. So yeah. seeing the uh, amount of Chamber in play was kind of surprising to me as well. I think that... Obviously, I think Chamber's a good character, but I'm I'm surprised to see a lot of people who played Jet take that role. Um, and I think it's most likely because of their ability to op and maybe open oh, up uh, that position for somebody else. But when we originally talked about it on the podcast, we were talking about what maps we thought Chamber would be viable on, and it was like a, a couple of them, like. Yeah, I mean, and I we we were Breeze and like fracture is the main two that come to my head. Well, I I was saying all. Haven would be really good, uh, but I honestly have not seen a lot of Chamber on Haven. Yeah, I don't think Chamber's that great on Haven specifically because Killjoy is really good on Haven. Um, well, I was just thinking and... that they could take the Jet and Killjoy role yeah, of like uh, especially like... on defense of locking down garage that was my point in the wh right. whatever podcast that was a while ago mm -hmm. um interestingly I... NRG did play chamber on haven against sentinels just want yeah. to throw that out there yeah so i mean it is played sometimes but it's not it doesn't seem to be the common thread like there are definitely some apps where people have been playing chamber a lot more fracture included yeah i i see i think it makes a lot of sense for fracture um just because there's a lot of uncertainty in where the fuck the attackers are, I think his alarm bots gain a lot of extra value on that map than they might on others. Um, and the fact that you can... Fracture is one of the few maps, along with Bind, in which Chamber can very actively play both sites. 
with his teleport. And bind, it's a bit awkward because you're like I, I've been in situations on bind. And I specifically do this on pistol because I find that in pistol round it's more common to see a uh, a full man just like you know five man rush out yeah. Line. yeah um and so I find that it, it's less likely people back off and rotate off a site in pistol round. So I'll put one PP on either site and it's very limited in where I can put it. Like I have to put it in cubby on B site and I have to put it in lamps on A site. Those are the, like, that's the only place that's close enough. That's that, like my TPs are in range. Um, I have had situations before where I need a TP out because I'm getting either util dumped on where I am or like, I just get into a gunfight that like, I feel like I should leave, but then I'm on the other site and it takes me a while to get back. Yeah. You're fucked. Yeah. With, and yeah, basically I'm leaving whoever is also defending that site kind of out to dry. It's like, Hey, sorry, I'm, I'm out of here. Good luck. That happens to me a lot. Um, (laughs) which I think is better than the alternative. Like try to stay on that corner and just die due to util. But, um, at any rate, I find that on, on Fracture in particular, it works out super well because my I can set both of my TPs up kind of around CT spawn, but that allow me to peek both into B and into A. And the rotate is super short, so even if I have to TP out, I'm only gone for a handful of seconds before I'm able to get back. So I think Chamber on Fracture in particular is, is pretty strong. I'm just more surprised to see him on a bunch of the other maps. Yeah. Okay. And then, I mean, I agree with everything you said there. I I do find myself in a lot of situations where, you know, you like to take the opening peak and I'm sitting there behind you as second point of contact Mm -hmm. and you'll TP away very quickly, right? You, you miss your first shot, you're gone. And then I'm alone on site. Right, so that that does happen a lot, and I don't know if there's a better situation to do that. Maybe it's not split yourself as much, um, but obviously that has drawbacks as well if they don't p- push yeah. your site, because then you can't right. rotate over. Um, I mean, I pretty much only, like, the only time that's super relevant is bind. I'm thinking of bind right now because you brought it up. Yeah, so. it's only super relevant on bind in exclusively pistol round. Well, that's the only well, round much, that you have enough time to set up both TPs there. Uh, I believe there is no. Okay, there's some shenanigans you can do. You uh, you drop your T, you drop one TP anchor and spawn, run to either A or B where you want to set your other TP down. TP pick TP it up. Down, okay. TP pick it up and then run to the other one. It is possible. It doesn't really give me enough time to set my trademarks up during a regular round. Um. And there's there's a way to do it on ascent that allows you to play like A and middle and drop your TPs down, and it uses the same idea of dropping a TP anchor in spawn so that you can TP back there and get there quicker. Um, I know you can play both like A and middle in ascent using that kind of trick of like TPing back to spawn to run to the other area. I'm not sure how viable that is for other maps, and I feel like. In non-pistol rounds, I'm better off putting a TP in an area in which 
if I TP to, I have information of what's going on and like what is and what is not safe. Whereas TPing all the way across the map, like no matter how you look at it, be it as Yoru, um, Chamber, uh, or Omen, uh, using is all is always kind of a bit of a gamble if you don't know what's going on on that sector of the map. Yeah, as Omen's nice because you actually get a second to yeah. Well, well, Omen, see yeah, your you surroundings. Can look around and be like, ah, cool, I'm fucked here. And, this is the first positive thing anyone said about Omen's ult. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like, like as Yoru, like you send your TP over there. Like somebody might have found it. Like if you don't have player or if you don't have your teammates in that general area, like you know. And like I have had situations as Chamber when I teleport out of something only to get my other anchor to be staring at somebody looking me dead in the face mm-hmm. while I take that second to like pull my gun out and they're just looking at me, probably teabagging me a couple times. It feels like it takes a goddamn eternity, and then eventually they shoot me in the head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I say overall, I'm I'm happy to see more chamber being used because it varies the Price team comps a lot. Uh, I feel like the meta was getting kind of stale with a lot of the same team comps, and it was really interesting to see how chamber kind of comes in and throws that for a loop. Uh, because you can still have a jet and a chamber, or you can get rid of the jet role if it's not the map for it, or your jet is playing the chamber role and yeah, I, have room for other characters. So I feel like it adds a lot of variety to team comps in the pro games, uh, which is fun to see as a viewer. I, I don't see a ton of jet and chamber, and I know Sentinels is kind of an anomaly because Tens plays jet, and then Dapper apparently just really likes playing chamber. Um and so then you'll see both Jet and Chamber. I'm surprised to not see that on more maps, though. I thought that was going to be a more potent combo than it ends up being. Um, but I will say, uh, while we were gone over the weekend, um, Tony convinced me to watch one of the EU games. I think we were watching uh, Liquid... Fuck it, I don't know. Liquid versus somebody. Might have been Navi. Um, and I did see a neon. Yeah, so this is what I wanted to bring up next, is that Uh, I'm, I'm, for the full eco comp, right? You want the, you want the chamber jet, the neon, right? Yep. But fuck, neon does not seem to be meta at all. Okay, I, I, okay, I think, I think the problem with the full eco comp of running jet neon chamber is... It limits you so much. Okay, we need smokes. Depending on map, you take Viper or Astra. Assuming we're following the meta here still, you take Viper or Astra. And then it's like, well, shit. Flashes. We picked two duelists who don't have flashes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now yep. we need flashes. And I, I was actually surprised and to And a see, Sentinel uh, and, you know, whatever well, else. Sova. Oh, yeah, I guess. Chamber's your Sentinel. You but don't have a Sova. Can't, you can't, it, it literally eliminates you from picking Sova unless you're going to run a no-flashes comp. Um, which I did see a couple teams doing, and I was kind of surprised about. Yeah, the no-flash comp was, was rough. That's something that I believe Sentinels made work on one of the maps that that they won on. I, I don't remember which one. I just remember being surprised when I realized they have a no-flash comp. But I find that 
that's the sneaky one that comes up on me in ranked games. When I look at our team comp, like going into a match, I'm like, okay, uh, we got smokes. We've got someone who theoretically should entry. Um, like, a, you know, like we, we've got a Sentinel, like, you know, it, like our team comp looks good. And then about like we get into the map and then we're fucking 0 and 4 or 0 and 5. And then I look back at our team comp and I'm like, oh yeah, no flashes. We can't get on site. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's the that's the sneaky one that comes and bites you. Someone drops a smoke in our face and we're fucked, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, someone drops a smoke and it's like, hey, neon, can you uh, can you flash us out? Um, oh, can you can you wall us out while I uh, <laughs> die from your wall because I'm already damaged from the opening duel? <laughs> yep. No, Hunter and I have decided. I believe it was two nights ago to just not really go into this anymore because we're just going to permanently disagree. But, um, well, well it's... Future, it could change. so what you're saying is you're going to go into it. <laughs> no, no. I just wanted to list the arguments here. It's like Hunter thinks that like the wall sucks dicks and is actually an active detriment. And like, I'm totally, no, 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 don't wall. misquote me. Uh, Cass. Okay. I think it's one of the worst pieces of utility in the game. I don't think it's always an active detriment. I think it's like I think it's in the same tier as the Brim Stim Beacon, where there are times where you can use it and it has a big impact in a positive way, but those times are few and far between. And largely it comes down to if you enjoy using it for yourself, like a Brim Stim Beacon, then you can get some good value out of it. Otherwise, it, it, it has just as much potential to annoy your team and mess them up as it does to actually help them. I don't think it should damage your own team. Yeah, I think that's a bit far. I mean, Molly's damage your own team. Yeah, and so so does like a, a Phoenix Wall. That's fine, right? It's the fu- the fucking neon wall takes up so much more space, right? Because there's two of them and they're way fucking longer. So I'd say it's almost more akin to a Viper Wall, and that does not damage your own team. Yeah, I'm suppressing my desire to rant against own, the neon wall. The viper wall doesn't damage the other team either. No, but it it decays it's them. Temporary decay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It it debuffs, and I'm fine with neon's wall not doing the exact same fucking thing vipers does. I just think that mm. maybe it's fine to to ping like a phoenix wall and do damage to the other team, but it shouldn't do that to your own team. It just takes up so much goddamn space. Phoenix's wall doesn't do enough damage to the other team. No, I mean it's mostly just to block line of sight or heal yourself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I okay. So I I think Riot's theory with the last two agents that they've released is been a hey, let's not directly nerf Jet. Let's just put some competition out there. And I think Neon was supposed to be the entry capability that Jet has, but amplified. Watch out, I go fast. (laughs) But Chamber was supposed to be the defensive capabilities that Jet has, but amplified. Um, It's like that meme, look what they need to mimic a fraction of our power. (laughs) Uh, But it seems like Chamber has done enough to disincentivize teams from playing Jet on certain team comps. 
But Neon I think has not. No. Neon has not. Yeah. I'm in full agreement with Cass here on one of the rare occasions. Yeah, and I mean, I, I am as well. But we were talking about this the other day about Neon's ult and how it seems to be very good the lower rank you are. But okay, I, it has I, I a fall see... off into upper ranks. Okay, but like Soulcast playing Neon in that liquid pro game, I like I saw him get multiple multi kills with his ult. So It's good. Obviously in pro games I, I, they're not gonna snap to your head immediately. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's much more games, situational. You still get value out of it. Yes. I, I would agree. And obviously like it, it's something that I in my very brief stint of attempting to play Neon because I thought she could be fun, uh, I ran into the scenario in which I realized uh, your alt can be pretty good in one-on-ones, but it doesn't do you jack dick if you peek more than one person. Yeah, you have to get one-on-ones for Neon's like, ult. You have to get one-on-ones. And... In like, and at close range as well, for it to be really a big upgrade over like a full rifle. Does it have damage drop off? Well, no, but like no, the it whole doesn't point have any damage drop off. Kill isn't super, sure, isn't sure, super I, low. I, no damage drop off, and I kind of did have damage. Drop and off. no damage well, difference between head, body, and legs. I, I I know there's no damage difference on where you hit them, but I kind of thought it had damage drop off. It does. Well, not. what I was saying in terms of why it's worse for long range is because. A couple of reasons. One, even the person, even the most cracked people at their mechanics, the whole point of the neon ult is to be moving while you're shooting it because you don't have a penalty that way. And if you're peeking someone at a long angle and moving yourself, you're just not going to keep that beam perfectly on someone at a really long range as you're strafing back and forth. Yeah, it's and not a big addition, enough target. Yeah, and in addition, like the fact that of you being further away, it's much less for the other person to move their crosshair to aim at you. Unlike if you just full on sprint past someone where okay. with your super speed, it's a lot harder for you to uh, get the hit. For the record, her alt does have damage drop off. Okay. I did not. Up close, I kills, in, up close kills in six shots at longer ranges, 15. Oh, interesting. Mm. Okay. Do you know what those numbers are? Or is it, do you just know the nope. the number of shots? I just googled it. Okay. Cassidy actually just made that up. He didn't google it. He just thought it was. I'm sound assuming cool. her alt has a rounds per minute kind of thing, and just on the screen that you're watching, it looks like a laser. Th- that like, is I'm true. Assuming... It does. No, it, yeah, they... it does have a rounds per minute. Absolutely, it, yeah, it has if you ammo. Go into the range and shoot it into the wall, like you'll see, you're actually shooting individual shots. Yeah. No. Okay. So anyway, it takes six up close, fifteen at long range. I don't know where that damage drop off happens, but. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, so given what we've been talking about, I think this actually, uh, unless anybody has any closing comments on the uh, on the whole new pro meta. No, I think yeah, that, just, I think that about wraps us up for the pro. Yeah. 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 Um, I was gonna say we've got a. Uh, well, okay. Well, Chase wanted to talk about rank distribution. I want to give him the ability to talk about this. I don't know how long the next topic might take. So, Chase, if you want to cover or have your say. Yeah, I mean, this is just a continuation of any rant that a lowly silver one might have right now. Um, is that 
finally we have some fucking data on what this rank reset has done in the first or in like episode three versus episode four now right is everyone complains why the fuck can't i get back to my previous rank right or like anywhere near it and i'm i'm one of those people where it's like sure i was gold one at the end of last act or yeah um but i i probably didn't deserve gold one as a standard I, I was I was a solid silver three though. I was a silver three for most of the act and then made it into gold one by the end because I really fucking wanted the buddy. Um And you got that buddy. I, I got the buddy and now all the fucking bronzes I play against are like, who the fuck was a gold last act? This is insane. Um <laughs> Like that happens almost every game. Except la- like I was in a game uh yesterday where somebody had a diamond buddy. And then that was the one they oh, were I've talking about. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, seen, I've seen Diamond Buddies in games, and that's a bit rough. Okay, but now to talk about it, last last act, um, this is coming from, I believe, November. Um, the percentage of people in bronze was 22.5% of the player base. And silver was 30%, gold 21%. It, you know, goes off from there. Um, this act, there are 31% in bronze, 30% in silver, and 14% in gold. Um, there's yeah, a couple okay. more percent of, percentage of people in iron. But at this point in the act, like, the, the ranks have pretty much settled, right? You, you're in the point where there's not going to be mass movement anymore this is the it's been long enough that people are in the rank that the system thinks that they should be in um yep there is a 10 percent increase in the amount of people in bronze that's pretty huge that is a massive amount and where did that come from it has to come from higher ranks because iron also went up yeah. So it means that if you were silver or gold, silver is about the same. Theoretically speaking, I'm not saying this is the case, but theoretically speaking, it could be through an inbox of new players. No, because it's percentages. Yeah, but if you get a fuck ton of new players playing the game. Okay, sure. Aren't... Theoretically, yeah. yeah, you're right. Theoretically, you're right. it could be due to an influx of players. I'm not saying I think that's the case. I very much... Don't think that that's the case. I don't think that's the case. But, but basically, but if you were in happen. gold or above, silver is about the same amount of people. But there has been a solid 12% about, maybe 13%, that has moved from the gold plus category into the bronze, like, iron category. Mm-hmm. So that means I, it's likely, you know, people gold plus, 10% of them have moved into silver, which makes you know, the 10% of the full player base then move down into bronze iron. Yeah. That is a massive shift. And I'm not sure if that's what Riot was going for, but like, I don't understand why you would want the upper ranks to be so exclusive. I like, okay. Now let me come out and say, I, I had no problem with, the rank squish that they did. And obviously I understand I wasn't hit as hard as some other people were. I did not place drastically below what my rank was previously. I did not have a huge time getting back to 
around there. I have not gotten back into gold, but I have hit silver three on both my alt and my main. And for this given act, my alt is kind of my main because I played on that way more. But I I think that like there's this whole idea of of comparing you to the rest of the player base in terms of like what your act rank is and i think a better way to do it would be if you're trying to improve as an individual in this game might be to just look at like like you're saying with those percentages right what percentage of people that play this game am i better than and how what percentage was i better than before and obviously having this shiny thing in your face that shows you where you where you stand is is nice and having that number or rank go up is nice but at the end of the day like it, it, if you're trying to improve it it shouldn't matter whether it's in, in silver or or immortal it's like you're improving relative to the rest of the player base. I agree with you. I think that obviously it's about who you're you're going against, but that gets a little bit fuzzy when you add another 10% of the entire player base to a single rank because there will be a massive distribution of skills even within that. But I, I'm saying like I've seen people that have like like the, the plat buddy or like when you go into a game and you look at like what their last act rank was and like it is very obvious that like certain people that I've had in my lobbies were incredibly inflated. Like people that had like a full plot three triangle, it like like going into the game, and like I looked at how they were playing, and even if they were having a bad game, like even if it was just kind of a one off, there's no way that they deserved that. Sure, there's a lot of that. So, I've also had a lot of people who have like, you know, full gold three act ranks, and they fucking wreck in a bronze lobby. Yeah. Right? But they're bronze three right now. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess I, like, perhaps I just didn't get hit as hard as other people. Like, I didn't drop that much. I mean, no, I you dropped the same amount that I did. I guess right? I did on... No, I dropped. Well, I dropped gold one. Silver I think two. your your main no your main went to silver one. I went to bronze three. Did it? I yeah. thought my main went to silver two. No, guaranteed. My, your main my went ult, to silver my one. My went down to like bronze two or bronze three. Yeah. So it, there, there's a. It didn't a... take me that long. It didn't take me long to get back up though. So. See, I don't know if it's a luck thing, or if it's a I've actually gotten worse. I, I don't know, um, but I mean, I kind of, I kind of do know because there's these percentages now that that tell you that ten percent of the player base has gone from those higher ranks lower. Those people yeah. are going to, on the average, be better than I am, even though they're now in bronze or now in silver. Who I'm playing against, I'm I'm silver again now, but like low silver, um, like there are going to be people who last act were significantly better than me in those games and they're still significantly better than me. It's just, they're in the same couple of ranks because everything is squished into those now. 
Yeah, I don't really see the problem with that. I mean, if things get shifted down, they get shifted down, and that's where it is. And I understand that, like, it, it can be frustrating not being able to get back to the rank that, like, you were at. But well, I just think you, you have eight ranks, right? There are, yeah. there are eight ranks. Maybe we talk about seven because Radiant is always just top 500 people, right? Yeah. So there are seven ranks. Why is – what? let me do some quick math here. 75% of the player base in the bottom three of those. Yeah, I was trying to think if, if, if there's some science to, you know, it being more exciting for you to get a high rank if there are a lot less people in it. And so that, like, say, doesn't it incentivizes people. I don't know. I, under, I understand that with, like, maybe Radiant Immortal. Yeah, you can have an like definitely like radiant five hundred people immortal. I've heard a lot of people say that there it was too flooded last episode. There were too many people in immortal. Sure, I I've never fucking come close, so I couldn't tell you anything about that. Um, diamond maybe like you can have like very exclusive, but like gold platinum. Right, they're they're still they're considered like mid elo. Okay, but the other thing is I. Like the your rank persists for six months, right? We're a are you talking about how long a whole episode is when you uh, say you're that? saying that there's creep? Yeah, I'm saying there's creep, and like there there is creep because one of the riot devs came out and said, "Hey, look, like part of the reason why we have to do this is because there's there's loss forgiveness when you lose when you've got like two points left, right?" Like you're at two out of a hundred in a rank. You lose negative twenty five, you only go down two. Right, but they get to determine what those numbers are and when they give you uh something that would put you at zero versus something that wouldn't put you at zero. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if their algorithm intentionally decides to put you at, at zero instead of being like, Oh, we'll leave them at one. I'm not I'm not sure if it if it does or not doesn't, but fact, I, wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if I wouldn't be surprised if it does take that into account. I, I would be I would be more inclined to say that it does not. And then same thing with ranking up. If I get to exactly one hundred out of a hundred, I get ten free ELO going up to ten out of a hundred in the next rank. Um and so there's one hundred percent creep in that regard of just like you're given free ELO, so to speak, or free ranked rating. Uh, like throughout the rank as you as you go on it, it basically allows you to lose a game for free at, when you're at the bottom or you just ranked up and so in general yes I, I i think people do kind of will end up trending upwards as this six months goes by before we hit a new episode yeah i think that, yeah you're right that there will be and creep and in. and we're comparing end of episode ranks to beginning of episode ranks yeah and so i completely agree with that However, I feel like the gameplay is worse when you have so many people in a certain rank. Because within a rank, you have larger skill disparity the more people are within it. And so you're going to be getting more skill disparity in your matches. That's just a, a fact. That's a, that's a given with the, with the stats. If you have 10% oh. more people in... A rank there's more skill disparity among that rank 
But theoretically, you're not based off your rank. You're based off your hidden MMR. But is your hidden MMR not technically your rank as well? Like, they're related. Yes, but your Indeed. rank and your hidden MMR are entirely separate. Like, you get, you, get, you get into matches based off your MMR, not based off your rank. I mean now, that that's another people, issue that I want that I've, okay. I've talked but about like, possibly people, on the podcast. Yeah, right, right. We, yeah, we <laughs> on podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, and now the people you can queue with is determined by rank and not determined by MMR. So you could see two people in silver that are queuing together be on the complete opposite of the spectrum MMR wise, and they're allowed to queue together, which can fuck up the whole trying to create even matches part of the algorithm. That I will give you. Well, and also there's only a limited number of people that can be online at a certain time searching yeah. for a game in your server, right? And so I feel like in general, they you are matched against people like in the general rank that you're in. Like I, I could be in a silver lobby. It's not like I have a diamond in there that's like really underperforming. So their hidden MMR is way lower. There's no, there's no fucking diamond in that lobby. Oh fuck! I after you hopped off the other day, I played a game with Tony, and like I was the lone silver two in a lobby of like bronze one. It was kind of rough for the other team because like I wasn't smurfing or anything, but like the fuck are they gonna do about that? Yeah, it's because Tony's elo's in the fucking tank. <laughs> oh, like, and yeah, he was he was actually literally just complaining to me this morning about like going on like an eleven game losing streak or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he showed me his career. It has not been good. No, I mean I told well, like, you I, I was in a lobby with Tony and Doobie and me. They're both what bronze one right now, and I was in silver one. And the entire re other team was iron with a like bronze three. Yeah, no, like I, I can and it was the worst. It was the worst team I've ever played against. Like I match MVP'd and like we fucking destroyed them. Like I don't understand why I was placed against that, but it is somewhat a rank thing because you know I'm supposed to be comparable, quote unquote, to the what to the bronze three, right? And then the rest of the team was you know iron three bronze one so maybe like it overlaps a little bit but in general i feel like rank like the actual fit rank that you see has a lot to do with the matchmaking as well all right hunter you got uh anything to say i feel like you've been awfully silent here well you know sometimes i know i, I talk a bit too much so i'm happy to let you guys go at it uh sure. honestly it's a tough scenario so i don't have a real uh clear thing to weigh in but uh one thing that i did want to point out is uh, i did want to correct some false information the podcast had put out uh, and by the podcast i mean cast um <laughs> from a couple weeks ago uh cast said something that i didn't actually have the data to disprove that i thought there's no way that's correct and it turns out i was right he said that they're the same at some point in the past couple months there, there, there is the there were the same number of people in Iron One as in Radiant, and I, as a result, as you guys were having this conversation, I was looking up like how the rank distribution has changed over time, and one of the things I looked for was that, 
And yeah, it turns out that that's never been anywhere close to, to to true. There's always been more than ten times as many people in Iron One than Radiant. So oh, I just yeah. wanted to throw that out there uh, in case anyone was in case that had really been eating away at anyone else's brains from a previous podcast, like it had been mine. I mean, the stats that I have right now, um, which are from beginning of February, so not the most up to date, but pretty much. Um, it says Iron One is 2.3% and Radiant is 0.02%. So that is over a hundred times more people in Iron One yeah. than they were in Radiant. Yeah, and the and the thing is that I was doing is I was pulling up uh, some past charts from previous uh, months as well to see if maybe that was true in the past. And no, it hasn't been. So the person Cass was hearing that from just seems to have been mistaken somehow. Yeah. You guys look at numbers? I just go off field. <laughs> okay, I mean, if we're looking at even like the other ones that I have, like Iron One was one point seven percent, and Radiant was point one percent, um, and that was last November. So those are just the stats that I was comparing. But yeah, significant difference. Yeah, honestly, I I don't remember making that comment on the podcast. If Hunter says I did, I probably did. Um, so I I. I don't even know how to begin to defend myself, even if there is any defense. I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> okay. Was well, that's, there... that's all I had to contribute. That was, that's, uh, yeah. I thought it was good to conversation otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, was there a, another short topic you want to talk about? That's basically the end of my rant on, on the rank yeah. distribution. Um, yeah, this one I, I don't think will take too long here. Um, what features do we think Riot should add to the game? I'm going to go off and say that, uh, now, okay, I'm just going to discount the replay system from this, or, like, the demo thing, because that's kind of something that, like, uh, everybody has kind of spoken about, and how they all want, like, a demo system for the game, which I agree that they should add, but, um, I was actually going to say that I, I want, like, like, aim dual maps, that I can go in in, like, a 1v1, or like a 2v2, and there's no objective, there's no spike or anything. They're just like a bunch of guns on the ground, and you can pick them up, and it's like kind of like a dodgeball arena almost. And you can yeah, just, like uh, Counter Strike has like in warm up before a game starts. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I, I yeah. really want them to add like aim duel maps that are there for that exact purpose. Just you know, the two of us duking it out, settling an argument. It's like yo, one v one me. We go into a name duel map. Hmm. See who comes out the victor. Yep. That would be cool. So that that's what I want Riot to, to add to this game. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out something really spicy here. Mm -hmm. Um this is something I'm gonna very carefully word this. This is something that I want Riot to add to the game that I think would be a horrible idea and that they absolutely would not consider. And that okay. is to bring a little bit of the competitiveness and the chaos of lands where you get to see the people, you know, yelling at each other and, you know, hyping each other up uh, after rounds to the average uh, ranked experience by in the, you know, that like five seconds after the round is over mm -hmm. that you're pressing V to talk send your voice to, to everyone? the other team as well. Oh so my god. Talk shit <laughs> to the other team after every round. 
That'd be way too them. much. I, I don't know yeah, about that like one. To, like I said, I say, want it to happen. It doesn't make sense. Riot isn't going to do it, but it would be a blast, and I would absolutely love it if that happened. Going back to our BM conversation, in which we're saying BM's fine so long as it doesn't waste my time. Mm-hmm. That doesn't waste my time. Yeah, yeah if you're de- if you're actively diffusing Spike or something, and you can talk shit yeah, on me. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Just like, dude, you got fucking shit on. Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I got yeah. no problem with that. <laughs> like I said, yep. if I lose a 1v1, I'm the first person to call myself out for being dog shit. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, I have no problem with the other team doing it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that would be funny. Um, yeah. If I could rewind just for a second back to, to Cass's suggestion of the uh, aim duel maps. Mm-hmm. I think that, I, I mean, I was watching a video uh, at some point in the last week. Uh, where they were talking about, you know, kind of exactly this topic of what features they want to add to to Valorant. And an idea that I really liked was just adding another competitive game mode, something that's different. And I think you can kind of combine that with the aim duel maps of maybe, you know, Riot has a lot of, you know, warm-up casual game modes with snowball fight and replication and um, et cetera. But if there's another maybe faster like takes less time competitive game mode such as like a 2v2 a one-on-one aim duel map um that just adds another bit of like you know maybe you have a separate rank for it you know it's it's a different version of the game but still has the same competitive ladder system um where you can decide to grind both of them or like you know we want to Focus on one. Focus on one. Yeah. You you have like you know. I, I just want something where you know I have thirty minutes. I can go onto the onto the game and and play something because I I can't hop into a full competitive match and I can't hop into an unrated. Um, but something that still intrigues me and I want to go do for twenty I'd be, thirty minutes. Yeah, I, I'd be slightly worried about it splitting the player base, but and I believe I've brought this up on podcasts before. But I can't say for certainty. Um, I think Hardpoint as a game mode would actually work really well for Valorant. Um, And I think they might need to potentially... Like, not all the maps would work out super well for it. But uh, for those of you who don't know what Hardpoint is, it was... uh, Well, it's a game mode that I became very familiar with through Black Ops 2 being a Call of Duty game. I'm not sure if... I'm not sure where the concept originated, but it's basically King of the Hill. And so there's a certain area of the map that is like, you stand in here, and if the other team is not in here, you gain a point for every second you're in there. Um, This obviously includes respawns. Yes, yes, they're respawns. Um, And so, like, you can, obviously they can tinker with the respawn timer, but let's just call it five seconds for now. Um... And then based on whatever hard point you're kind of fighting for, the respawns are different. Um, and at least in Black, or at least in Call of Duty, uh, the meta evolved to be like there is a desired respawn point over the alternative. And so you typically have one player not pursue like the hard point being like the king of the hill area and actively anchor down a spawn to give your team that spawn. And then teams would try to push the anchor off to try to get that favorable spawn. But at any rate, that's more meta talk. 
Uh, I, I just think it'd be kind of cool to have that as a game mode, like another game mode that you could take somewhat seriously. Um, I'd just be interested to know how like utility would work in that. Is it all recharging every time you die? Do you get full util? How I assume you get full retail or full util every time you die, and then. I mean, I yeah, and you would kind of have to completely revamp how util works in the game. Um, but I, I was thinking that in in whatever this mode is, I think util should play an aspect. Um, obviously that's tough because there are certain characters that would just never get played. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking about like an aim duel, if util was, um, was available, like you would just not pick like a sentinel, right? Mm-hmm. That, that would just never be a pick because you're wasting all of this. So ah, I feel like it would okay. have to well, be designed in For a sure. way in which util could be useful no matter what it is. So that would take some yeah. very clever designing of how do we make this there a, a trade-off between playing a duelist and playing uh, a sentinel in some kind of aim duel map. Um, but yeah, same with King of the Hill. Like I, I understand. Yeah. Smokes might be useful. Good. Like as if you're, you know, have a site, you want somebody to play retake. Yeah. Um, but like alarm bots aren't going to be that useful. They're constantly coming at you. Right. Right. Obviously like, and no matter what game mode you introduce, like the agents are based around, the default game mode of Valorant, right? And so you can't, like, like I think you have to accept, if you're going to try to come up with a different game mode, and it's going to try to be somewhat competitive, that, like, it's going to inherently be unbalanced in some way. Because, like, there's just no other way around it. Um, certain agents are going to be better than, than others, because they're not balanced around that game mode nor do I think they ever should be. They're, they're balanced around the base game of Valorant. Yeah, 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 true. And I think that it is possible that, you know, you can have varying team comps of, say, it's a 2v2 and you have two duelists on one side and you have a controller and a duelist on the other. Of, You know, you have, you have trade-offs and stuff. So it could be interesting, but I think it depends a lot on the map design and what you allow Util to do. Yeah, so I I think what you're talking about with like a two v two is um maybe it comes from Halo. I don't know. People have been calling it Wingman online. Um, and I do think it'd be interesting. And like, I mean, this doesn't entirely revolve around uh just like this alternative game mode, but like, I do think it'd be cool if they came up with a way to have a one bomb site map. That would be interesting. I don't know how they could make it work and be fair, but I think it'd be cool. Yeah. And like, I, I guess something else is, um, in Valorant, the defending side is always given free access to bomb sites based off where the spawn barriers are. Yep. And so I think it'd be interesting if you introduced a map in which there's a single bomb site, but defenders are not given access 
to said bomb site. So you might be like, like peeking onto site at multiple times, or you know, you have a neon yeah. or a jet that can get there earlier. Kind I feel of like it'd right. be so hard for that not to just be an extremely attacker sided map, like the split, but in reverse. Of Maybe, Valorant. but is that is that a problem? Yeah, I hate split, <laughs> and just reversing the problem wouldn't make me like it. Like, obviously, it'd be a very different scenario, but I. I mean, is there a problem with having a map that's either heavily defender sided or heavily attacker sided? Yeah, I mean, I think you want it. You want even too far sides. one way or the other. It becomes a lot less interesting because you basic because basically, if both teams are playing reasonably well, then you expect one team to win a lot more rounds on one side, and I feel like that does make the game more less interesting for the people playing it and the people watching it when it comes to the professional level. I agree, especially watching it at a professional level when you come to, like, when I see a game that's 6-6 at the half, you're like, oh, shit, this is a good game. Right? You don't want to see a game that's, like, 9-3 at the half and be like, oh, shit, this is a good game. Right? Like, that, yeah, like that's dumb. To, to use a specific example, in the Guard versus uh, 100 Thieves in Map 2, uh, the 100 Thieves started on offense, on split, and the, at the end of the half, the score was 6-6, and the casters all said, this is a massive uh, success by 100 Thieves to be in the position of 6-6, which is an even score line. And sure enough, 100 Thieves went on to not lose a single defensive round. And so that 6-6 score line was a sign of 100 Thieves being in great position to win the map. I don't think that, I think just that just makes Valent the, the game less interesting. I... I don't necessarily agree with that take. I, mean, I just think it makes it more confusing to watch. You have to know more about it and know more about e each map. So you're going to like disincentivize people from watching, um, watching pro games. Just I, I don't think that disincentivizes people from watching pro games. I mean, now, okay. So to talk about League of Legends here, it's a game that I have tried to play once before. It did not work out very well for me. I don't fucking understand how the game works. And every time, like, I visited one of my, my friends out in Toronto, and he's really into League of Legends and was watching, God, I think it was Worlds. Like, there was some big tournament going on while I was out there, and he kind of had some games up on his laptop while we were just hanging out. Um, and what disincentivized me from trying to watch that was how I don't understand what the fuck is going on. and. The casters, which I'm assuming are probably selected for people who do know what is going on, which makes them better casters for them, but the casters weren't doing me any favors. They were talking about a bunch of shit that I couldn't fucking understand. Um, now, imagine if the scoreline was, say it's a game to 13 like Valorant. Yeah. I have no idea how fucking League works. So Neither do I. Um, say, say the scoreline at, at half was 10-2. Uh, and the casters are like, "Oh, this is really good for the people with two two rounds." But like, I don't. Think you would be like, "What the fuck is going on? I don't understand what's happening." Okay, but I I, I think it's it, it's there's not a giant leap between understanding that okay, one half is stronger than another. And now I like ten. If a map goes ten two, and that's considered a good half for the attackers who got two fucking rounds, I think that's too extreme. But if it's like 8-4 at the half and you're like, you know what? The attackers did pretty good here. They got four rounds. 
you know the like, difference I, between those two rounds that those two scenarios you just described is two uh two rounds yeah <laughs> and in fact i, I would argue that the enough. scenario right now is that if you go if you get three nine when you're on attack on split you're in basically even position in many cases for the other side so like i i feel like that you're drawing a very thin line here and and I mean the original conversation didn't even come from split. Um Right, right. It came from the opposite of the uh yeah, the idea of a map that's too attacker sided. Right? And I, I think it's a cool idea to have a single bomb site map or some kind of map where defenders don't get full access to site. Um but it would have to be done very well. And Yeah, and creatively. Cre- yeah, exactly. There'd there'd have to be some interesting mechanics there so that it's not extremely attacker sided. Yeah, I think the defenders would need to have some massive advantage to compensate for the fact that they don't start with the bomb site. To not make it Even like defense? the defenders. Yeah, yeah, the defenders need to have a massive yeah, okay. advantage. I, that part was correct, and then maybe I said mm-hmm. defenders after that. Defenders need to have a massive advantage to make sure it wasn't hugely attacker sided. Like maybe they get like special tunnels to be able to flank the attackers that are like one way or something, like one way teleporters to the attacker spawn. I don't know. This is my first idea that came to mind. Like something, something crazy like that. And I, you know, maybe Riot will pull it off. Like I'm thinking of like okay, so like Dust Two from Counter Strike. Now they they did somewhat recently in the past couple months make some changes to the map, which aided the CT side. But like for a very long time is was a very loved counter-strike map and probably the most played at least in in ranked play and was a heavily attacker-sided map yeah the way that you've explained dust 2 sounds stupid to me because uh, that's exactly it's also a different game <laughs> yeah but like I, i'm just saying i like it okay but while yes counter-strike is a different game it is by far and away the closest comparison we have to Valorant. Sure, sure. And there's there's literally no argument there. Like and and if like I understand a whole bunch of people when when Fracture came out, right? And the T side got access to like two different sides of the map that they could like be in during spawn. Everybody's like, oh my god, like this, this map is horrible, like I, I don't think the map's bad. I don't think I, that I think opinion are, is I don't shared. think any of us yeah. do. Like, I, 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 yeah. think, I think people are just very adverse to change. And I don't think I've got a problem with seeing a map that's incredibly attacker-sided. Well, that's here's a key thing in what you said there, Cass. That it is true that Fracture has unique advantage for the T-side. Unique advantages for the T-side. And it is true that Fracture is probably the most attacker-sided map, statistically. But it's not wildly attacker-sided. It is not as attacker-sided as, for example, Split is defender-sided. And so I think there's a key difference in terms of the magnitude of how, how, of how much one thing is one way or the other. Because I think every map besides Fracture is considered defender-sided. But like on Ascent, you don't feel like you have to win, you, you know, you can be okay with losing rounds on off losing more rounds than you want on offense by a substantial margin because you're going to make those back up on defense. Like it, it that's the key thing where the game really you still surround... want to do better on exactly. whatever side you're on. Not yeah, of course. Well, yeah. the thing is you're, I don't you're think anyone's disagreeing with that. Well, you're 
in a in a close game, like you should be going, you still should be wanting that six six scoreline, at least before you swap to the other half. Like you you shouldn't be wanting a, a like I need to get four rounds here. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it's that bad because, like, it, it changes how the meta is played. Like, it, it changes the idea of, like, oh, like, okay, we've got this many rounds to work with. Like, this is kind of the threshold that's considered, you know, pretty good. And then, obviously, we'd like to push it past that and take, like, let's call it. Like, okay, let's say you need three rounds, right? And, like, meta says the half goes 9-9, nine, nine, or sorry, 9-3. You need three rounds, and then you get the three rounds. I don't think anybody's given up and being like, "Oh, we got our three rounds." Like, no, definitely, but you're like, happy with off. three. The difference is you're happy with three. When I, I don't think that's as fun as being happy with six. Yeah, but I, I if it's okay with you guys, I kind of want to shift the conversation a little bit because we've largely focused entirely on you know how how much. Um, attacker or defender sided it would be and if that's a problem which is very hypothetical at this point considering that Cass has just thrown out a very rough idea um I I think one thing that'd be interesting to consider is like what other gimmicks or features would there be in the map to keep it interesting because like if you took for example if you took like Haven and you just took one bomb site and made it a map obviously that would be incredibly boring so like I'd be really interested to see what Riot could come up with to make like the paths to that one site or the, you know, the, the the layers of the site, their multiple levels vertically, like what they could do with that uh, and, w- and what they could bring to the table because they would have to bring something to make it actually fun. Yeah, I was also thinking on, okay, not entirely a non sequitur, but like slightly, uh, just in terms of like cool map design, I'd like to see a top to bottom map design. Like, yeah, I think you've brought that up on the pod before. I, I think Definitely, I have brought that yeah. up on the podcast before. But, like, yeah, like you're saying, like, just in terms of, like, things that they can add, they can, like, if you just had six different pathways to one site, like, it, it gives it gives so much potential for, like, somebody to to show up from perhaps an unguarded entryway. Yeah, so... I, attackers or defenders. I was right? thinking of this, uh, of this, like, maybe not 5v5, but you know, 2v2, 3v3 mode. And what if defenders spawned on the singular bomb site and there was a ring where the attackers spawned on like Ooh. like concentric circles, right? And there's like five entrances to site. And what if the attackers are also zombies so it just straight up becomes a uh, <laughs> you know, a horde defense uh zombie game. Yeah, what if I can barricade my house up? You know, like I... Fortnite it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if the Valorant map takes place actually inside your house, IRL? Something to think about. What if you like quit Valorant and start playing Fortnite, and then that's the competitive queue? <laughs> Every podcast from now on, it's me and Chase talking about Valorant, and Cass talking about his experiences in Fortnite. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, super duper purple sniper, I feel like, needs to be buffed a little bit. You can see how much I play Fortnite, the terms I'm using. I mean, none of us here have like played Fortnite maybe more than once. So. 
I actually have, I actually played it a couple dozen times like back in like oh, 2018 like when it was yeah yeah like when it was first becoming a thing I was terrible and I played it on my phone mostly but I like I played two games of Fortnite and I have won one of them so I have a 50% victory rate and y'all can go suck my dick cuz I think that's probably better than the majority of people in the world who have ever yeah, played I, Fortnite I don't I don't care what your Fortnite win rate is See, I don't even know what that means. There's some kind of cloud that moves in on you, and you gotta get closer to people. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is the extent of my Fortnite knowledge. You build. Yeah, I'll shit. break it down for you, Chase. Cass is the best at hiding and waiting for everyone else to die. That's what that's that's what he's saying. Oh, uh, okay. Yep, yep. I kind of thought they made that impossible, but this is not not the point of the podcast. I think I think we're wrapping this up because yeah. we we have run out of shit. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Well, hopefully next next. I uh, week another we'll... topic. I just think it'd take a really long fucking time. Well, yeah, we can <laughs> save it for next yeah, week. Yeah, we don't have a really long time, so yeah. Hopefully next week we'll be back with some really uh, big excitement, assuming that the Yoru stuff hits. Which when, okay, theoretically, when does the next shit hit? Tuesday. Well, I mean, it's almost Tuesday, Tuesday. So the the day after this podcast drops. Yeah. Okay. So the day after this podcast drops, in theory, we get an influx of shit. Yeah, and so we'll have a little bit of time to to figure it out and then record this podcast. So Nice. Or the next yeah. podcast. So. Oh, you mean we get like a day before we record the next podcast? Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of time yeah. to figure shit out. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, next um, podcast will be largely based on the patch notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically, we won't have a lot of time to see it in, in well, action. Because Hunter's, Hunter's going to go for a 24-hour stream in which he plays Yoru nonstop. So... <laughs> Well, okay, uh, that brings me to the fact that while I don't have plans imminently for a 24-hour stream, I mean, I'd be willing to consider it if there's enough popular demand, but I will be actually streaming uh, my Yoru journey, so uh, catch me uh, at, just, my name is Hondesi on Twitch, same as my Discord username, so um, yeah, check me out there, irregular streaming, but hopefully every day once Yoru hits, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, if you want more up-to-date information or our takes um, that aren't, like, five days delayed on the podcast, then join our Discord because you can yeah. talk shit to us and we'll talk shit back. So um, Absolutely. hop in that Discord. It's in the uh, podcast description and on the subreddit, mm-hmm. all that jazz. Yep. Now, now Chase is supposed to say some, like, catchphrase or something, right? That's how we end this? Oh, yeah. Drink with you later. <laughs>